Friday edition of PFTPM, you saw and heard Zach Ertz there, the former Eagles tight end, now former, now remember the Arizona Cardinals. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here for the next 40 minutes, the final 20 minutes of the program, a week six preview known as Football Pod in America with Tony Dungy, Maria Taylor, and me that we have already recorded. So Miles and I have to jam 60 minutes of crap in a 40-minute bag. Hi, Miles. Well, I prefer not to call it 60 minutes of crap into 40 minutes. I spent a good amount of time prepping for this, Mike. So, you know, I don't think what I have to say is crap, but we aren't supposed to read that crap from Mike Florio, you know, according to, you know, certain MVP quarterbacks. So I guess you're right. Wait, were you preparing while you were waiting to watch that noted blues cover band last night at SoFi Stadium? <laughs> You know, it's funny. Uh, I think that Mick Jagger took a shot at Paul McCartney saying, you know, like I, I couldn't quite hear what he was saying at one point at SoFi Stadium when I did go see the Rolling Stones last night. It was a great, great show there at SoFi. But he said that different people were in the crowd and I'm pretty sure that they weren't. But he said, oh, Paul McCartney's here and he's going to help us figure things out later. So I was actually kind of funny. He did make a reference to the blues cover band, according to TMZ, something I just yeah. happened to be reading on my way up the steps to the studio because I there have to always stay up to date with all of the latest celebrity gossip. You know how I am when it comes to those kinds of things. All right. Uh, but but yeah, I've, I've never seen the Rolling Stones and I love the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I listened to the extended edition of Some Girls, which has like 20 extra songs on the back end. I listen to that all the time. I love that. Yeah. Album. It was actually my second time seeing them. I saw them at um, whatever they call Ralph Wilson Stadium now in Buffalo uh, back in 2015. So that was fun. I got to see them with my mom then, and I saw them with a couple friends last night. So good, always a good time when you get to see the Rolling Stones. They were in Pittsburgh on October 3rd. That was a Monday night game, October 4th, Monday night game. So, you know, football always comes first for me. I wouldn't have gone anyway. Too many people, and I'm still in pandemic mode, which means I never leave the house except to get my hair cut and to uh, get my prescriptions filled. And, uh, Miles, you'll find out in 25 years that when you're 55, you have a few prescriptions that need to get filled, unless you're very lucky, like my wife, who has none. All right. What about uh, when you're 56? The Eagles. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks. I was just picking a round number. I was going with Tom Brady's expiration date for his career. Did you see that? Before we get to this, he suggested last night for the first time ever playing until he's 55. He could play until he's 55 if he wanted to, but his family issues could get in the way. And it dawned on me. I'd never thought of this before. The possibility of him actually leaving the game for multiple years and then coming back. And I would not put that past him. I guess I wouldn't either, but I, you know, when I, I did see that comment and I thought, man, you know, Brady is basically between our ages, right? Like he kind of splits the difference in some way you could call it. Right. And basically my entire football consciousness, he has been a quarterback. He's been winning championships. He's been doing all these things. I mean, most uh, like if you're in high school right now, you've never known a world where Tom Brady hasn't been winning championships and he still goes out there and he looks like one of the best quarterbacks that is in the league right now. I mean, honest to goodness, I, I think he's an MVP candidate right now, which is ridiculous for somebody at 44. And like, frankly, I, I just, I don't know. It's just one of these weird things. Matt, all the things that are so much different now than they were when Brady first won a championship. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could be doing this for as long as he wants, including 10, 11 more years. It would be amazing if he did it. And again, he said that 
he has to ask himself how much of his family life does he want to miss. But he also said last month he never wants to be in a position where he tells himself, man, I could still be doing that, which to me is what planted this seed of a possibility that he would say, all right, I have to go spend some time with my family. And after a year or two with his family, he decides to come back for a year or two while he can still do it. Because one thing his family may decide after a year or two of being with him I kind of liked it the way it used to be. I know my wife figured that out once I started working at home. Like, can't you go somewhere? I have heard that before, and, and I, I suspect you're not surprised. Isn't there somewhere no. you can go today for like eight hours? Can't you do that? So isn't there a football game, Tommy, that you could go play? You've been hanging around the house way too much. All right, Zach Ertz traded by the – Philadelphia Eagles to the Arizona Cardinals. Jake Laser said last night he predicted one of the two guys between Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, one of the two would be traded, that the Eagles were getting calls, and here it is. Zach Ertz is now a Cardinal. Cornerback Tay Gowan and a 2022 fifth-round pick go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Here's Ertz and GM Howie Roseman talking about the trade that went down earlier today. I was crying in my locker last night for 30 minutes. I felt bad because the guys didn't really know but I couldn't help it. Um, well, it was it was special, you know. Last last January against the Washington, there were no fans, and so it was weird. And I'm glad I didn't end it like that last January. Um, and it was special last night. Obviously, we didn't win, which sucked, but it was fun. It was fun to do what I do out there, and I felt like I played great was myself and I'm excited to go to Arizona. I don't think it says anything about our outlook for the season. You know, it, we still are, are going and trying to win every game. You know, I think, again, uh, it's an opportunity. It was an opportunity for us uh, as well as Zach. And uh, we have a lot of confidence in the young players. Uh, I think really when we look at it, we would have had a bigger regret if we didn't bring Zach back and, and bring him here and have him around this team um, and see what it, what it kind of looked like. And so um, – I, I don't think that we look at it like that at all. We have a lot of confidence, and we had two really good players at the position, and we knew moving forward that you know, it was, it was going to be hard for us to do that. Yeah, look, I, I don't think the Eagles are folding the tents. This isn't a fire sale. This is about moving on from a guy who wasn't happy and who was being professional about it, but he'd wanted to be traded or paid or something. He's got to be happy now that he's with a team that's 5-0. and He won't be able to play on Sunday. That was one of the first questions that came up. You can't play two games in the same week. I'm sure some fantasy football people were getting very excited about the possibility of the Costanza-style double dip. You can't do that. He's not going to be playing for the Cardinals at Cleveland on Sunday, so your Brown Miles, don't have to worry about Zach Ertz. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I think I can compartmentalize Eagles getting value for a guy that was a luxury and doesn't mean they're going to start selling off assets. And, and I, I still put them on the fringes of a possible Deshaun Watson trade. Not that that would be going all in for this year, but until the window closes, I don't rule out the Eagles coming to the conclusion that We've seen enough from Jalen Hurts. He's not going to be a franchise quarterback. Let's go get the guy that we know is a franchise quarterback. I won't rule that out until he's either traded to another team, the Dolphins most likely, if anyone, or the window closes until 2022. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that I was going to bring up too and kind of and mention to you is just the, the fact that 
they don't want to say that they're sellers because they still could be buyers when it comes to somebody like Deshaun Watson. And frankly, with the way that the NFC East is right now, and also the fact that there are seven teams per conference that go into the playoffs, the Eagles really aren't out of it right now. I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think that they're a good enough team to do that. I don't know that Jalen Hurts has shown enough to say, yeah, he's consistent enough uh, to lead this team to the playoffs. But at the same time as we've been saying, like they have two pretty good tight ends. Zach Ertz has not necessarily been getting the targets, getting the yards, getting the receptions, even going back to last year. And he was hurt for part of that as well. But I think him going to Arizona, is going to be a really interesting opportunity for the Cardinals to say, all right, we have a tight end can take the place of Max Williams who just got hurt for the rest of the season, that knee injury. And what are we going to be able to do with this? And they're trying to say, all right, we're all in right now. And they should be. They're five and oh, they're in command right now in the NFC West. They've beaten the Rams already on the road. So This is an interesting trade from both sides because, yeah, it's going to mean that Dallas Goddard's going to have more snaps, more opportunities at tight end. Also, if you're the Cardinals, I really do think it signals like, hey, we believe that we can do this thing this year. Yeah, absolutely. And the Eagles, you know, moral victories count for nothing, as we know. And at some point, the fans there who got a taste of a Super Bowl championship four years ago and won another one badly – They're not going to be placated by, we didn't embarrass ourselves against the Chiefs. We didn't embarrass ourselves against the Buccaneers. At some point, they want wins. And Ertz not being there makes that a little bit harder. But again, they they are not going to be fundamentally different without him if and when Goddard is back and healthy and good to go. But Ertz was a great contributor. It felt like it lasted longer than it was going to. It felt like it lasted longer than it should have. They eventually get something for him and they can move forward. And as you said with the Cardinals, without Max Williams, they had a need. And and that's what we see happen with trade. I'm I'm a big fan, Miles, of no trade deadline whatsoever. Why is there an arbitrary Mm. ending point to when teams can transact business? Because it's not like someone is going to do some sweetheart deal and give away a, a great player for nothing right before the start of the playoffs. And if a team wants to try to pivot and integrate a new player who hasn't been there at all on the fly in late December and they want to give up value to get that player, so be it. So I think the trade deadline is too early. It's definitely too early now with a 17th game. I think teams should be allowed to make up their minds if and when they want to transact business anytime they want, including November, December, and even into January for the teams that are still alive. I'd say, and I can even make the argument that for the teams that are done, that they should be allowed to, if they so desire, trade players to other teams for future consideration. Again, if the two teams want to do it, why should we stop them? Well, I mean, once we get into late January, early February, before the you know official start of the new league year in March, we start to see that anyway, right? I mean, that's when Matthew Stafford got moved at the end of January in this last year, um, once the Rams and the Lions decided on that deal. Now, obviously, that thing doesn't become official until March, but I mean, to your point, yeah, the business doesn't just stop just because the trading deadline ends. 
I mean, it has to for that particular year, but you know, we still see teams making moves, doing things, cutting players, picking players up off of waivers and all that in order to try to get better as the season continues. But I mean, I don't know if there shouldn't be a trade deadline at all. I don't know if I'm ready to go as far as you are with that, but I think it might make sense to have it way later in the season, say like after Thanksgiving and maybe into early December, just because things happen and teams have to be able to figure out, all right, what's, what's a fit for us, what's not a fit for us. And if at least you have a few weeks in December, I mean, that might make sense to try to integrate somebody. And you need to give teams a chance to come to the conclusion that it's over and that there is a business yeah. reason to move players that maybe are due to become free agents or are going to cost too much next year or, or whatever the case may be. They just want out and they want to go play for a contending team. I think it would make things more exciting if there were more transactions. It's been exciting to say the least this week with the Washington football team email scandal, the downfall of John Gruden, the emails that came out last night involving NFL general counsel Jeff Pash, his correspondence with Bruce Allen, not in the same poisonous, toxic ballpark as Gruden, but still problematic because it shows the absence of that arm's-length relationship. League office needs to have all teams at the same distance, none closer, none farther. And there was a coziness there between Allen and Pash that can become problematic from a competitive standpoint, Miles. So now as we push this thing forward, I'm not ready to rule out the possibility of more Pash emails coming out. Why? Because a week ago we saw initially one from Gruden and then more from Gruden. So maybe there's more from Pash we haven't seen yet. And then there's others that may have been corresponding with Bruce Allen or others with the team or others who previously worked for the team who sent emails on their account. Until we get all of these, we don't know where the next shoe is going to fall, as proven by the fact that last night the shoe fell on Jeff Pash. Right, exactly. Look, a week ago we were talking about the first email from John Gruden that came out that had the racist trope about DeMar Smith. And so I don't know that we know anything about where this thing can go, especially when there are so, so many emails, 650,000 of them is a huge, huge number. So any number of people and individuals could be among these emails and could have something untoward within those emails. So I, I'm, I think that it kind of goes back to what you've been saying. We need to just see all of it so that we're not in a position where, uh, I should say this, so that any individual is not in a position where one particular or a couple of particular individuals can leak stuff to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whoever, and then that becomes that person's downfall. It, it all should be out there on the table. And, you know, there are teams that have started to argue this. Obviously, the Raiders, Derek Carr was also saying it, but it, it's just a weird position that we're in now where it seems like every couple of days, something else can happen where we're going to find out something that was in this trove of thousands and thousands of emails. One thing I'll be writing about this weekend is the question of how this all got started as it relates to Gruden. Who pulled the cord on the lawnmower? Was it leaked by the league? And, and, an important chicken and the egg question here, Miles. Was the league already in the process of gathering emails and sending them to the Raiders before the Wall Street Journal reported last Friday on the Demoris Smith racist trope email? Because some think that the report from the Wall Street Journal 
was the lawnmower starting. I believe Hmm. the lawnmower was already starting, and I don't understand. And when we talk about competitive issues, competitive balance, competitive integrity, who decides that in October, between weeks four and five, we are going to send the Raiders a packet of emails that their head coach sent years ago when he wasn't even working for the team and expect them to do something about it during the season and ultimately topple the head coach during the season for a team that was 3-1, and one, quite possibly lost on Sunday because of the distractions and now has a new head coach for the rest of the year who wasn't the guy who was ever hired to be the head coach and never would have been the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. That definitely creates competitive issues and screws up the competitive balance of the NFL. So whether this should have happened before the season, after the season, take your pick. But it seems to me this is something that never should have happened, Miles, during the season. That's a good point, Mike, because I agree with you on the competitive issues there because it truly, truly is a competitive issue. I don't know how you can expect all of the players to say, yes, we were solely focused on football. And despite the fact that that's what they've been trying to say and that's what they have been saying, I guess I should say, like that's it's impossible. They're all human. Right. You've got all of these different players from all of these different backgrounds. So many of them are black players. And you mean to tell me that the racist trope that their head coach used, even if it was years and years and years ago, was not on their mind at some point in the preparation process from Friday to Sunday? I don't believe it. And then you also have this week where, like you said, a man who was not supposed to be the head coach of this team is now the head coach of this team. They've not only had to change head coaches, but also offensive play callers. And that's going to make a difference too for the Raiders on Sunday and throughout the rest of the season. It does create this interesting competitive issue. And that's not to say, and I know you agree with this, that Gruden should not have lost his job, right? I I don't think that there's any argument there because he got what was was coming to him, right? You cannot use this kind of language and expect to keep your job in today's society. It's just not the way things work. However, you know, what you're saying is true. Who pulled the cord on the lawnmower and why is it happening now? And why is it only happening to him and whoever else? It just seems to be in this order that these emails keep coming out. I think it's entirely possible to balance the two different theories that Gruden got what he deserved and Gruden got a raw deal because there's plenty of others out there who deserve mm-hmm. the same fate who aren't getting it, and who will have to live in fear that they may get it at some point in the future. And the people I feel the most sorry for in all of this are the ones who, and I used Sean McVay's name earlier today, not that he has any reason to worry about anything, but he was with the Washington football team for years in his 20s, and he had an email account, presumably. And he doesn't remember what he sent. He doesn't know. How do you remember all of that? For the same reason you don't want to get audited by the IRS, you don't want somebody digging through every single email that you sent 10 years ago and looking at it and asking, is this problematic? Is this offensive? When maybe you never intended it, maybe it's a misunderstanding. You just don't want to worry about that. But if you end up on somebody's enemies list, one of the people who have the keys to this weapon that has been used against Gruden and against Pash, you got to worry about it. You got to walk around every day wondering, when is the day they're going to point it at me and fire it? Right, exactly. And it shouldn't be that way. All right. It it just should not be that way, especially now that we've had this happen to not one, but two people. 
through the media. I, I just, it, I don't think this is the right way of going about it, but who knows if it is going to change. And the NFL doesn't seem to want it to change right now. You know, they still say that they're going to keep those emails um, under wraps. So we will see if, if it changes, Mike, but I, I applaud your effort to continue to put pressure on them to have more transparency in this because that's the way it should have been in the first place. And this thing should not, the, the report, if you will, because it wasn't really a report, should not have been released on the, like, the couple of days before the 4th of July when everybody was basically not paying attention to it. So we, there's still so much more that we have to uncover about this entire process and you know what was discovered in that investigation. Yeah, absolutely. And we are not going to let it go. I'm encouraged by the number of people in the media and the number of fans who recognize the importance of this issue and how sinister it can easily be and arguably already is. All right, let's take a break. Five questions for Friday for the coming slate of games that unfolds on Sunday. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Powered by PointsBet has $195,000 up for grabs this weekend, and it's free to play as many games as you want. This weekend's contests include a Grand Slam Pick'em for the ALCS and NLCS, College Football, Premier League, NASCAR, and Sunday Night Football. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. I actually considered earlier today kicking in five grand to round it up to 200000 but it's one I'm not kicking in an extra five. Free money for you. Go to NBCSports.com slash predictor. All right, Miles, five questions for week six. Which version of the Steelers offense will we see on Sunday night? The one that we saw from week one to four, which averaged 16.8 points per game and 221 total rush yards, or the week five relative explosion with 27 points and 147 rushing yards? Give me the week five version. And I think it's mainly because of Seattle's defense. Seattle's run defense has been pretty bad. I mean, they're second to last in run defense this year. They've given up at least 110 yards on the ground in each game. And then, of course, you go back to week two where Derrick Henry absolutely destroyed them on the way to that overtime win. So I just, I feel like you saw Harris get going a little bit last week, and that's the way that the Steelers have to win. I think if they take that same approach against Seattle, they can do the same thing and win again. The, the overriding question is, and look, the Seahawks defense is horrible. Of course, they haven't yes. played the Steelers' offense yet. They may get better very quickly. They have Geno Smith at quarterback. But with Ben Roethlisberger, the key continues to be, and we saw some of this last week, when the play breaks down, just get rid of the ball or take a dive. Don't try to be Ben Roethlisberger of 2011. You're not going to be able to run around and escape pressure, and it's only going to end poorly. You're going to get injured. There's going to be a pratfall. The ball's going to fly out. It's just not going to be good. But I think the Steelers can win this and get to 3-3, three and three, which would be stunning considering how they got the season started. Next question, what kind of performance do we expect to see from the Raiders with Rich Basacci as the interim head coach? I know that this is not a good answer for television, but I really have no idea. And I think it's just so hard to know (laughs) because of just all of the different things that we were kind of talking about in the last segment that have come up over the course of this week for the Raiders. I mean, you have to let go of your head or your head coach resigned, excuse me, but he was going to get let go anyway, whatever we want to call the language there. And then you not only have a new person in as a head coach, you got a new offensive play caller. You're going to see a division rival that's played decently well over 
over the course of the season, not necessarily against the teams that have, weren't uh, 0-9 combined in the first few weeks. But, like, I, I really don't know how they're going to recover from this. It depends on what the leadership in that locker room and how they all come together. If they can do that, then they can win in Denver. I think there's too many issues, too much dysfunction, too many distractions, too many guys looking around. If I'm a guy on that team, I'm looking around saying, who can I really trust? But this, we talked about that early in the week. The new guy yeah. is good friend of the old guy. Well, yep. how do we know the new guy doesn't have the same kind of emails and the same kind of poisonous thoughts that the old guy had? I think it's too much to overcome in a week. And talk about competitive disadvantage. Look, the Bears won a game on Sunday. Maybe they had no business winning. And that hurts the Lions, Packers, the Vikings, the Eagles, the other teams competing for playoff positioning in the NFC. It's just none of it's any good, and I think it's going to be very hard for the Raiders. Three, is this the week the Cardinals suffer their first loss to your Cleveland Browns, Miles. Mm, I just don't think so. I don't see it. You know, you got Nick Chubb is out with that calf injury. I think that obviously Kareem Hunt can fill in very well. He would start on, uh, let's call it 95% of teams in the NFL. He just doesn't necessarily do it for the Browns. And he filled in pretty well last year when Kareem Hunt was out. But there are just other injury issues that the Browns have. You know, whether it's your offensive line, got a couple of those guys questionable on defense, the cornerbacks, a lot of them are questionable as well. Jadevian Clowney, he's questionable. So there's just too many injury issues. And I know that the Cardinals have some of their own with the corners, but I just, I don't see it this week. Um, I think that the Browns will beat the Cardinals. They still have Kareem Hunt. Oh. And I want to see the Browns use Odell Beckham Jr. He's getting open. Ooh. Baker Mayfield's got to throw him the football. Will any defense be played in the Chiefs-Washington football team game? The Chiefs are giving up 7.1 yards per play. Yeah, no. Uh, and Washington's not much better. Uh, you know, I don't have that stat in front of me. But I know that none of these, neither of these teams are very good. So it's going to come down, I think, to the turnover battle. And I sort of figure that the Chiefs can get more because I take Patrick Mahomes over Heineke. Yeah, look, I agree with you as well. And you may not need much defense for the Chiefs to get their win and get back on track. Last one. Better chance at getting the first W this week. The 0-5 Lions or the 0-5 Jaguars, who play the Dolphins in London. Ironically, uh, according to Trevor Lawrence, although I don't think it's ironic. It's a little ironic because you don't necessarily expect two teams from – never mind. Anyway, I think that uh, it's probably the Jaguars because the Dolphins are just really, really bad. Like, they're as bad now as we expected them to be in 2019. So, like, they're 32nd in defense, I think, and 31st in offense in, like, both categories. So, it's just – they're not good. I, give me the Jags. I think the Jaguars are going to win. I think they're going to beat the Dolphins because the Dolphins aren't good. It would be ironic if the Jaguars were playing nah, a home game against the Dolphins in Miami. Would that be more ironic than playing a home game be, against the Dolphins yes, in London? Because that's more unexpected. I don't know. I just yeah, it's. I, I think that he's he's talking about. That's why I wrote the story and I wrote the headline. And I'm like, I don't think this is that not. I don't think this is Alana's more set ironic. It's just. I just think it's two she teams screwed it up. You, yeah, she did. She she messed it up for everybody. She, she did for everybody and forever. And I never know when it is appropriate, so I never actually use it because I think every example of it from that song is not actually irony. 10,000 spoons when you need a knife. <sighs> All right. Let's uh, take a break. Can't wait to see you for week six. We'll do that next here on PFTPM. <laughs> Thirty-one, thirty-one. Matt dodged the punt, gets a high snap, 
gets it away. It's a knuckler. Jackson takes it at the 35. Picks it up. Looks for running room. He's at the 40. He's at the 45. Midfield. He's at the 40. He's going to go. Deshaun Jackson. I don't care if he jumps, dives. He's running around. And he is in the end zone. And there's no time. And the Eagles win. The Eagles win. This is Miracle in the Meadowlands number two. The walk-off punt return touchdown by Deshaun Jackson in 2010, the first season of MetLife Stadium. And we play that not just to irritate Giants fans, but because Deshaun is back this weekend. And one of the things I can't wait to see is the guy who's now 34 years old, who is still good for one big play every game. I want to see what he does back in that building, Miles. I mean, he and the Rams have had some success. I mean, the times that Matthew Stafford has actually been able to hit him, because sometimes Matthew Stafford's overthrown him, underthrown him, but they've had a little bit of chemistry, and they've definitely had some success this year. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand why you want to see that. I want to see that, too. It should be pretty fun. Uh, my first can't wait to see, though, man. I really, really, really am looking forward to the Lamar Jackson versus Justin Herbert, the first matchup between these two QBs, and they're both young, they're both dynamic, and right now they're probably like neck and neck in my personal MVP race because both of those guys have been playing off the hook. I think uh, Lamar Jackson this year, uh, this week, said that you know Justin Herbert's playing out of control right now. So it's it's really interesting just the way that Herbert has been able to lead this offense last three games. He's got 11 touchdowns, averaging just over 300 yards passing per game. Also has a rushing touchdown in there. The battle between these two teams is going to be really fun. I'm really interested to see, too, what Brandon Staley is going to do to try to stop Lamar Jackson. We're always looking for the next great quarterback rivalry, and those rivalries are really cemented in the postseason. But Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, has the potential to be a great regular hopefully postseason and regular season get together because that should be one of the great games of the day i can't wait to see whether or not the pats can finally win a home game they're zero three tom brady has more wins than bill belichick at gillette stadium this year tua tonga vailoa has more wins there Jameis winston has more wins there and they got a tough draw against the cowboys and i think they're going to fall to zero and four at home those fans are going to have to be beside themselves after this one, Miles. But it's going to be an upset if the Patriots win. I want to see if they can pull it off. I don't know if they've got the offensive juice to keep up with the Cowboys. So I, I don't really see them winning there either. But, yeah, they could be 0-4. Uh, my next can't wait to see. Give me Tua Tagovailoa, speaking of that guy. He's probably coming back. I don't, at least unless it's happened since we've been on the air. He hasn't necessarily been activated off of injured reserve yet. But by all accounts, He's going to be starting this weekend uh, for the Dolphins against the Jaguars over there in London. And this offense really needs a spark. The 31st in yards and in scoring. They've got to get something going. I don't know that Tua Tagovailoa is really going to be the key to that, especially, you know, after we just talked about Justin Herbert. Sorry, Dolphins fans. I did it to you again. But if he can be the quarterback that they need him to be, get this offense going, then Miami can get back in the win column. We saw what Geno Smith can do with absolutely no preparation and little warning that he would actually have to play in place of Russell Wilson, who never comes out of a game, 98-yard drive on his first crack. Now he's got a whole week to get ready. 
going into Pittsburgh, 75 miles from where Geno Smith played his college football home games in Morgantown for West Virginia. I'm excited by this. This isn't just company man hyping up the Sunday night game. I am excited to see what Geno Smith can do because he was exciting last Thursday night against the Rams, Miles. No, he was exciting last Thursday night. And frankly, I'm excited to see what he can do too, especially against a Pittsburgh team that has been good, but not great throughout this course of this season. So we'll see exactly how he's going to be able to operate this offense, Mike. But I don't necessarily know that I would pick the Seahawks going into Pittsburgh to win. All right, one more from you real quickly. We're almost out of time. Did you get Donald, all three can of yours? you respond? That's what I was going to say. I don't know. I mean, you know, he's not played well in the last couple of weeks. We will see if he can stop the turnovers and the interceptions. And he won't have Christian McCaffrey, who will miss another game with a hamstring strain. Football pod in America next. Miles and I are gone. Another Friday to Closer to Death. We'll see you next Friday. Hello and welcome to our week six NFL preview. I'm Maria Taylor alongside Tony Dungy and Mike Florio. And Tony, because Mike is here on the call, I feel like we have to start with the Vikings. Is that fair? Is that okay? <laughs> that is okay. We've got to talk uh, Vikings. Okay, so let's start with uh, Minnesota, Mr. Florio, and what you're watching in their game against the Panthers. Maria, you haven't been here nearly long enough to have figured out my longstanding suffering as a Vikings fan, the only good years were when Coach Dungy was the defensive coordinator. And uh, uh, I kept waiting after that for him to come back as the head coach someday, but it never happened. Maybe it still could. Maybe it still could, but I doubt that that, that will occur. The Vikings and the Panthers this week, and I'm stunned that the Vikings are favored to win this game, even if it's only by a point. The Panthers had been very good. They've stumbled a little bit. It was difficult for them in Dallas. They had the Eagles beaten. They had that game in their, in their grasp. They just didn't score enough points to hold off the onslaught by the Eagles. The Vikings, to me, though, have been extremely inconsistent defensively and offensively. They haven't been scoring enough points lately. I, I really look at this as a game. After the Vikings last week, we saw them collapse and then somehow steal that victory. They could pivot that towards something positive. They could get Dalvin Cook back this week. They need him. Their passing game has been good. The Panthers seem a little bit wounded to me. I'm holding out hope that the Vikings can get to 3-3. Three and three. That's not the fan talking. The fan in me, trust me, has recovered. And with every disappointing Viking season, that fan recovers a little bit more. But coach, I think this is one where the Vikings can prove to us that maybe they're better than their record would suggest. I think, Mike, for me, it is both teams. Who are you really? Uh, Minnesota has, doesn't have a sterling record, but a Dalvin Cook fumble against Cincinnati that was very questionable. They could have won that game. Uh, missed field goal against Arizona. They could have won that game. Uh, but as you say, last week, they easily could have lost to the Giants. So who, who are you? And we need to see that. On the other side of the coin, Carolina, you know, they're, they're the same way. Um, when Christian McCaffrey plays, they seem like they're a dynamic offense. They've got a lot of things going. Their defense uh, is aggressive. When Christian McCaffrey doesn't play, we don't see that same thing from either side of the ball. So uh, I'm anxious to see which team shows up on both sides of the ball. I think it could be a great game if they both play their A game. 
You're right, Coach. Remember the Panthers, they started the season 3-0. and All of the hopes were high, and we saw Sam Darnold playing really well. So the question will be whether or not they can get a win against the Vikings. Let, let's move on to two 4-1 and teams. We've got the Chargers, and we've got the Ravens. And remember Baltimore coming off a, a Monday night game. We saw Lamar Jackson playing really well. Actually, one of his best games throwing the ball. So let's walk through what you need to see maybe from the Ravens in a game against the Chargers where you know we're going to see a lot of offense uh, from the L.A. Chargers team, Coach. And I, I want to see some defense. I, I went into the season with both of these teams feeling like, hey, th- these teams are top 10 defensive teams. And last week, there's probably 1,400 yards between them of what they've given up, and we don't expect to see that. So who is going to be able to get a stop on these dynamic quarterbacks, and is this going to be a a 47-45 type of game? Um, It's going to be exciting. These quarterbacks are both on fire, but somewhere defensively, one of these teams has to stand up and get going and be the team we thought they would be. And the thing about the Ravens, I was so impressed with what they did on Monday night, down 19 points in the second half. The passing numbers for Lamar Jackson in the second half were through the roof. And, you know, I I said earlier this week to Chris Sims, it was kind of like the the person who's trying to figure out how to drive stick shift and then it finally clicks when you get that feel of the clutch and it's just right by necessity – Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense figured out how to drive a stick shift in the second half of that Colts game. And they threw and they threw and they threw well. And it makes me wonder, is that the moment where the offense truly becomes as balanced as they need it to be? Because if they could ever become balanced between the pass and the run and can do either if one is taken away, that's when they become very dangerous. And the the, the thing about the Chargers, they've been very good all year, but they've had some close calls. The Ravens have had some close calls. I think it's one of those games where it's going to be close, it's going to go down to the wire, and the Ravens have just proven over and over again that they can just find a way, some way, somehow, get in field goal range, trot out Justin Tucker, and walk off with a win. I feel like that's the way this is going to go. But but this is a great game that could go either way. And, and also, the start of potentially, we keep looking for that next great quarterback rivalry, Justin Herbert against Lamar Jackson. This is the first time they're ever going to meet. This is something we could see time and again, year in and year out, and hopefully we see it in the playoffs. That's how these rivalries really become special. But, but that rivalry is one to keep an eye on. Uh, Floro, can I just say that I really appreciate the stick shift reference? That was my first car. Okay, with a five-speed, so it's really difficult to put it in gear. I totally understand that. Uh, but with Lamar Jackson coming off of throwing for 442 yards, um, Coach, if you were scheming up a defense, how would you defend against him considering everything that we've seen from him so far this season? Well, I'm telling you, as Mike said, that one really scares you if you're a defensive coordinator because I look at the Colts. They stopped the running game from Baltimore. They, for the most part, as well as you can do it, kept Lamar Jackson in the pocket. And they gave up over 500 yards. So now I don't know how you play these guys because I don't know. You have to load up the box against the run. And if Lamar Jackson is going to throw like that from the pocket week in and week out, they're going to be extremely difficult to stop. And we've talked plenty about Lamar Jackson, but just go ahead, Mike. I was going to say Justin Berger, what we've seen from him too. Well, and and Herbert's just been spectacular from the moment that he first played week two against the Chiefs last year after Tyrod Taylor had the the unfortunate uh, uh, needle to to the rib cage that made it through to his lung. But with Lamar Jackson, one thing that really amazed me the other night when you go back and watch what he did, you know, he's throwing with a confidence that that 
it is sustained. It's not sporadic. And he's got the sidearm throw, and he's doing different things, and and he's doing it from the pocket, and I think that's what makes him even more dangerous. And Herbert's really from the pocket every bit as dangerous, if not one of the best quarterbacks right now in the NFL coach, throwing in the pocket. The accuracy, the velocity, the touch, the various angles to the throws, everything you could ask for in a quarterback, Justin Herbert has that. Yeah, Maria talked about, you know, this maybe the next great rivalry and, uh, you know, what we're seeing from these quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson has been great moving around, making plays, and, yeah, now he's throwing from the pocket. Justin Herbert throwing from the pocket, as you mentioned, but able to make plays outside. These, these guys can do both, and they can hurt you. You take one away, they can do the other thing, and that, that's what makes them unique. Well, since we're talking about quarterbacks, I feel like the only natural place to go is the Arizona Cardinals, the the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL, Kyler Murray, and what we've been able to see from him and the entire offense. They're taking on the Browns uh, this week. If you had to write a headline for this matchup, Mr. Florio, it would be what? Well, it would be Reunion 2.0 for Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. It's the second time they've faced <laughs> off. And because of this new quirk in the schedule, they get together two years after they did. Usually it would be once every four years, but this is the 17th game for both teams, and they're back together again. The weather in Cleveland should be okay for Arizona. I thought maybe it would get a little sloppy in the afternoon, but I think they'll be fine. But Kyler Murray's banged up. He's got the shoulder injury. They're not going to have Chandler Jones, most likely. He's on the COVID reserve list. They're not going to have their starting center in Rodney Hudson, who's really galvanized that line. But Kyler got the better of Baker in 2019 when the Browns kind of dipped. This one has some urgency in my mind for the Browns because they're better than three and two. You know, you got a Bears team out there that's three and two, and it's like, how are they three and two? They feel like they're one and four. And the Browns are three and two, and it feels like they should be four and one or five and oh. And this is one where they really need to remind everyone that they're one of the shortlist Super Bowl contenders, and that defense had better do better coach than allow 47 points like they did against the Chargers on Sunday. No, you're right. Cleveland has to be disappointed. You know, you have a double-digit lead in Arrowhead. You have a double-digit lead out in Los Angeles, and you lose those games. Um, If I'm Miles Garrett and those defensive players, we've got to stand up. We've got to make something happen. We've got to go out there. And this is a tough task. This Arizona offense moves in multiple ways. They, they can give you problems a lot of ways. Um, I, I think this is going to be another great matchup. And, uh, again, I want to see if this Cleveland defense can, can stand up and support the offense. Yeah, I appreciate um, you always taking us to the defense, Coach, because when we talk about that game, and you kind of brought it up, Florio, but there are obviously tons of scoring on the board with the Browns uh, and the Chargers. But they did have 532 total yards. They scored 42 points, zero turnovers. And usually when you look at a stat line like that, you think that's instantly a win. Um, so what are your thoughts on what we're seeing from the Browns offense? It's got to at least feel somewhat good. I know that there's no victories and a loss, but if there's a mild one, it's that your offense is playing really well, Coach. No, they are. Um, and I've been very, very impressed with Baker Mayfield the way he's playing. He had one off week, not throwing the ball really well. But other than that, he's been under control, taking care of the football, spreading it around to a lot of people. He's very content. When his two running backs get going, he doesn't feel like he's got to be in the limelight. He's got to create throws. These receivers are blocking downfield. 
everybody's making plays. They got David Njoku uh, involved last week, getting production out of the tight ends. They're, they're playing great offense. And as, as Mike said, they're, they're playing better than three and two. So this is going to be a huge, huge game. Big challenge, undefeated team where they need to win. Let me just add one point. The Odo Beckham Jr. issue is very compelling and intriguing in Cleveland. He had two catches for 20 yards in that 42-point outburst. Chris Sims has studied the film and says, this guy's open all the time. Baker Mayfield, for whatever reason, just isn't throwing it to him. OBJ is one of these guys I'm watching as the trade deadline approaches because if the Browns aren't going to use this guy, that's a $14 million salary. They should just move on from it. Coach, have you ever had a situation where a quarterback and a receiver, as great as they both are and as much success as they had, were not able to find the chemistry on the field? When you see something like that, what are the solutions or are there ways to work through it? I think you have to try to work through it, and you do work through it. Um, great players, are, are they're going to produce. And Odell, I think, is ready to, to burst out. And it may happen this week. I'm sure Baker Mayfield is looking at the same tape Chris Sims is looking at and, and saying, you know, I've got to make sure he gets the ball. I, I know one thing. If, if Marvin Harrison went through a couple of stretches where he had two catches, <laughs> that ball would be coming to him very, very soon and very often the next week. <laughs> you're going to find a way. Great players, you're going to put the ball in their yes. hands, obviously. <laughs> um, I can't let us leave without – we've got to talk about the Bills and the Titans, mostly because I want to hear your, your post-game wrap-up of what we saw last week with the Bills going into Arrowhead, sustaining through what was the longest halftime I've ever seen. Coach, you did a great job. Florio, you did a great job. You guys are probably still talking through weather delays. Uh, but what was your takeaway from week five watching the Bills? I was impressed with the Bills and the fact that they did exactly what they, they talked about doing. Offensively, they had to be sharp, not turn the ball over, take advantage of their opportunities in the red zone. They did that. Uh, they got Josh Allen running and made a big difference. So they had a, a nice game plan. Defensively, I don't think Leslie Frazier got enough credit for, for what he did. He, he told me he was going to have to stay patient. Uh, they were going to take away the deep ball. He thought his defensive front by rotating the round, playing eight or nine guys, keeping them fresh. They could chase down Mahomes, handle the run game. They did exactly that. They, they played outstanding ball. And uh, we went through this when I was in Indianapolis. We kept coming up short against the Patriots. We kept coming up short. And then and finally in 2005, we went into Foxborough and we beat them. And our confidence level at that point, we knew we had a championship team. And I think that's where Buffalo is now. Hey, we, we've kind of hit the last step, and we got over it. Now, look out, league, because we're, we're tough. And this is going to be a challenge. They're, they're going to face a, a completely different type of offense in Tennessee. But I think they're playing with a lot of confidence right now. Hey, one thing about that weather delay, uh, since we're peeling back the curtain just a little bit, for the first time in 12 years with NBC, and Coach, you may be able to relate to this, I had someone say to me multiple times, take your time when you're getting ready to say something. We never, <laughs> never. Hear, we never hear take your time. Never. So never. we talked never. really slowly on Sunday night to fill that hour, but that was a lot of fun. And it couldn't have been fun for the Bills in that cramped, tiny little locker room 
which is one of the smallest in the league for the visiting team. They come back out, they establish themselves, they get the 18-point win. And, you know, you don't do that win justice if you fall down the next week. And I think what really helps the Bills on Monday night against the Titans, it was a year ago last night, Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, excuse me, it was a Tuesday night game last year that they went to Tennessee and they got beat 42-16. to So to the extent that anyone's got a big head in Buffalo after they beat the Chiefs, Sean McDermott can play the tape from last year and say, hey, hey, well, you guys haven't done anything and we're going back to play a team that kicked us around last year. I think that's going to help keep them focused and build on what they did. And they're the only dominant team in the NFL right now. They've won their last four games by a margin of more than 28 points. I don't see them slipping off and losing their focus. And I got to admit to both of you guys, I went to Buffalo, interviewed Josh Allen. And when I walked away, I was like, I think I'm just a Bills believer now. Because even as young as he is, and, you know, he's only 25, 26 years old, um, the confidence that he has in the team and the way that he views life. He was a farmer kind of growing up, so he's got this hard work ethic behind him and kind of a really down-to-earth guy. seemed like he's the kind of leader you want, and obviously it's working out on the field as well. Um, So from Josh Allen, a young quarterback who's playing really well, to a veteran quarterback who we're going to have on Sunday night football. But Mike Florio, we're not sure if we're actually going to see him. We don't know. Um, Russell Wilson obviously was injured last week, and he's dealing with that finger injury. So let's just hear the latest from you, um, whether or not he's been at practice and what to expect this week on Sunday night. Well, no practice as of Wednesday for Ben Roethlisberger, who's gotten pretty banged up so far this season. I fully expect primetime game, opportunity for the Steelers to get to 500. I think he'll find a way to be out there. And that Seahawks defense is so bad that even if he couldn't play for some reason, maybe with Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins, they could still score enough points to overcome Geno Smith and what he's able to do. And look, Geno Smith was very impressive last week when he gets thrust into action with limited notice, a 98-yard drive right out of the gates. But now that the Steelers will have had a week to plan for Geno Smith, go back and study some old film and maybe try to figure out what they're going to expect, it won't be as easy for him. On the road, it won't be as easy either. So uh, tall task for the Seahawks to avoid falling to 2-4. and four. They were 5-0 and oh last year. What a difference the year makes. They just need to hope that they can tread water while they wait for Russell Wilson. And that's not going to be easy because even though the Steelers had those three ugly losses in a row, they got back on the right track against the Broncos. And uh, that Seahawks defense on pace to, to give up more yards per game over the course of the full season than any team in league history. Mike, you mentioned the, the Seahawks defense. I just actually finished taping a piece with Bobby Wagner, and he said that they have to get their communication, they have to get their togetherness back. And what he was worried about, even more so than Ben Roethlisberger, was the fact that the Steelers finally got their running game going and got that 147 yards rushing. He said, we cannot allow them to be two-dimensional. So they're going in with the focus of take the running game away first and make sure they do a good job. He also told me that Geno Smith has been very, very impressive all throughout training camp and uh, the first part of the regular season, even when he wasn't playing. He said it was no surprise to them that he played well down the stretch last week because that's what he had shown in practice and in the preseason. So they're going in very confident that they can move the ball and score points with Geno Smith. And as a coach, you would probably understand what it's like to have to enter a game without your starting quarterback and and re-scheme and having a week to actually prepare, Coach. Uh, What does that look like? Walk us through some of the preparation and what you're doing with your quarterback that's been preparing to be a second stringer the entire season. Yeah, what you're doing is trying to shift your playbook. You've got 300 plays in there, and 
Here's the 140 that Russell Wilson really does well and that are tailored to him. Well, what does Geno Smith do well? That's what we're going to emphasize now. So Pittsburgh realizes they may see some things that they've seen in the past. They may not. And so there's a little bit of an advantage for Seattle right now because Pittsburgh really doesn't know. Last week what they saw, that was Russell Wilson's game plan. Even those last 20 plays that Geno was in, that was structured for Russell Wilson. What are they going to see that's structured for Geno Smith? That's what we'll find out Sunday night. Well, we're going to find that out Sunday night, and you're going to hear from these lovely guys on Sunday night for Football Night in America. We'll see you at 7 Eastern. Um, I'm going to go work on my stick shift, and Mr. Florio and Coach Bundy, I'll see you guys in Connecticut. We're going to work on our, our kind of 70-minute uh, fill for halftime in case we need it again. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> 